0: Or call them today at 206-451-4220. GreatNorthernElectric.com. Serving our Bainbridge and Kitsap neighbors with solutions for anything electrical in your home. 206-842-3620. 8427410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. Are you a service member thinking about buying or selling your home? whether you're active duty, a veteran or a family member, you need a real estate professional who understands the unique challenges of the military. A Navy veteran, certified military relocation professional, prior Blue Angel and CEO of the Repoint Real Estate Group at Keller Williams Realty Puget Sound, Scott Lever specializes in helping military families relocate to and from the Kitsap Peninsula. Call him today at 206-486-4891. Or visit online at repoint.com. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. I got something for your mind, body, and soul.
1: Standard Podcast. Now here's your host with the most, Tiny Tim.
0: What's cracking, Podcastville? You found the Bystander Podcast. Today is National Woman's Day. I'd like to give a shout out to all the ladies out there. I hope you give an extra little bit of love to your mothers, your wives, and your daughters out there. It's been a while since I've been on the air, and it's good to talk to you guys again. Today, I am... Excited to bring you Limetown, the prequel to the number one podcast. Now, Limetown is a podcast that I love to listen to. And a few weeks ago, I turned you on to uh, Couch to Fit podcast. And Chris, the comedian that was on quite a few episodes back, he has a podcast called Stoop Kings. So, in the ilk of promoting other people's podcasts, because I love this format. I'd like you to listen to um, the story of Limetown, which was recorded November 16th. Um, It was a town hall Seattle event, and it was at the beautiful collective on South Union. A little bit about Limetown. It's a fictional podcast with writers, actors, kind of like a radio show I used to listen to when I was a young kid called Theater of the Mind. And... It's a retrospective uh, discussion about this podcast. They These guys started out very ambitious and making a different type of podcast with actors and such, paid actors, and then they decided to write a um, book about the podcast, and then some Hollywood bigwigs came out and decided to make a movie about the podcast, and they got I, I believe it's Jessica Biel is, is starring in it, and they're filming it right now. Anyway, these guys are incredible, and um, what they're doing is very out of the norm. And today's podcast is a little bit about their thinking and how it was created and the direction it's going. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Hello,
1: Hello, everyone. Hello. This is our first venue where we've had three microphones, so we don't have to <laughs> pass them around. It's great. Uh, first off, uh, does everyone know what Limetown is? Listen to it? Okay, great. Everybody knows it's fiction. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's a real problem. That's <laughs> a real problem. Uh, yeah, so uh, I just wanted to quickly sort of tell you how insane all this is. Um, when we started writing this well we started this in the winter of 2013 uh we wrote the pilot it took a long time we got it out 2015 a lot of life happened between those two things uh we had one episode produced that was the pilot uh i had a draft to the second episode but i didn't want to spend more time on it because i didn't want to hurt my heart if no one cared uh so <laughs> when we released the pilot um and it sort of went nuts we realized oh no now we have to make the show <laughs> so, so uh for anyone who experienced that in real time I apologize uh because I think it was six weeks between episodes one and two and uh Maybe a month after. We got it down to three weeks, so that was pretty good. (laughs) Uh, But uh, out of that came a lot of things that uh, we didn't expect. I mean, it should be emphasized that the plan for this was no plan. That we were going to put it out. uh, It was our first project as a company together. We gave ourselves six months. um, And this was going to be the thing that we put our money into, for better or worse. It was kind of dumb. In retrospect, uh, like, why would you do that? Those things, I don't know, fictional podcasts are not a thing, but uh, it caught fire and it worked for us. And so all of this is sort of coming from a place of we didn't expect it at all. Uh, And now uh, we have second season coming out. We have the television show in development um, and we also were lucky enough to work with Cody on this book, uh, which is which will be the focus for the next chunk of our presentation, the book. Uh, so I will turn it over now to Cody.
2: Thank you, Zach.
1: You're welcome. Um, yeah, when you just said that
2: a lot of life happened from like the first season until now, it's really true. Like When I f- started writing this book, I had zero kids. And now I have two kids. I mean, one of those, the second one was technically an accident, but it still counts, right? I mean, we wanted to, it just, it was sped up anyway. Um, so I'm very tired all the time right now. Um, so yeah, um, the way the book came about was um, Zach and Skip decided they wanted to make a book and to expand this world. And I knew nothing about it, but their um their literary agent uh works with my agent at WME. And um so my agent, Claudia, emailed me and I had just finished um my first book. It had just come out in March of twenty sixteen. Hurt people. Hurt people, as Zach likes to plug. Um and so I, I was looking for like my next project and Claudia emailed me and she said, Hey, um, you know, would you be interested in writing this this prequel novel to limetown and i said what's a (laughs) limetown and she was and it's actually true that's what i said um and i was like i don't know you know because i didn't really listen to podcasts um at the time and so but i had listened to serial and so i said okay i'll give it a shot i'll listen to limetown see what this is all about and um i was like oh this is incredible i mean Um, this world that they created was so compelling, um, and like the kind of sci-fi fantasy horror genre, um, conventions they used was like right up my alley. So I was really excited. Um, but then I knew like I had to sell myself basically to Zach and Skip on the first phone call. So we set up a phone call. They called me, um, and I was really nervous. I had never met before. And the way I describe it is that it was like a first date, essentially. Um, and um, so we talked on the phone, and they they basically just, you know, in an hour or so, laid out their entire vision for Limetown. Um, and I was floored uh, because their vision was so specific. And it was just so exciting to me what they had in mind. It was something they clearly put a lot of thought into and were super dedicated um, to expanding not only um, with the book, but also with the future seasons of the podcast. And then now we know it, a television show. Um, so I was super excited, but this was supposed to be just like a get to know you call. So I couldn't say like, yes, let's do this. Um, but then we got to the end of the conversation and it really was like this awkward first date where like I was... Looking into Zach and Skip's eyes, and I was like, "Should I make the first move? Should they?" Um, and then Zach kind of leaned forward, and he was like, "So what do you think?" Um, I was like, "I was like, screw it, let's do it." You know, um, so I jumped on board, and uh, luckily enough, they were um, excited too. And so, yeah, now we have two kids together. Um, <laughs> it's been really great. <laughs> Boy it's a and a really girl. Good collaboration. Yeah, yeah, it worked out, and we have this this book, baby, too, which um, I'm also excited about, and was no accident. Um, so I'm not sure if, if um, anyone has looked at it so far, but it, the book is a true prequel to the first season of the podcast. Um, it expands the characters of Leah and Emil, who, of course, were you know two of the, the two of the central characters in the first season. Um, so we sort of get to see how they get obsessed with Limetown um, and how they get to Limetown. Um, so I'm just going to read a little passage from chapter two. Should I read it up there?
3: Yeah. yeah.
2: Does that mic work? All right. I'm
3: just
2: going to be less awkward. Just talk amongst yourself. Hi. <laughs> or Zach will talk to you. <laughs> Okay. All right, so this is from um, chapter two, which is Emile's first chapter. So the book alternates between um, Emile's perspective and Leah's perspective. So this is is the first Emile perspective chapter we get. 25 years before the panic at Limetown, Emile sat down at his desk in the back of the American history classroom. His teacher, Mr. Church, was noticeably absent, late for the third time that week. Emil was not surprised. He knew Mr. Church hated teaching. Often while his students took a quiz, Mr. Church made a mental list of all the ways his life had disappointed him. The dream jobs he'd never pursued. He'd wanted to be a travel writer once upon a time. The women he found more interesting than his quiet wife. Was it too late, he wondered, to become someone else? He never said these things out loud, but Emil heard them just the same. Emile had dreams of his own. Lately, they revolved around finding his mother, a woman he hadn't seen since he was six and only vaguely remembered. He'd always been curious about her, intrigued by the few bits of information gleaned from his brother, Jacob. But recently, that curiosity had morphed into something more, a compulsion he couldn't explain, a riptide swirling in his head, ready at any moment to drag him out to sea. "'Where is he?' the girl in front of him said. He'll be here, Emile said, more to himself than the girl, but she turned around and glared. Was I talking to you? In her head, she called him a name. They love to call him names. Five more minutes passed, but no one seemed to notice. His classmates were busy cramming for the reading quiz Mr. Church gave every Friday. Emile watched the door, still expecting Mr. Church to burst in late, sweaty, defeated. Instead, a young woman walked in, tall for a girl, Emile thought. Short red hair. She strode in with confidence, and several of the boys' minds went to the places they always went and never really left. She dropped her belongings on Mr. Church's desk and walked to the front of the class. For a moment, the woman didn't say anything. She stood there, surveying, sizing everyone up. Why, Mr. Church, you look different today, one boy said. Austin Beckett, the class asshole. The class hole. <laughs> He sat in the front corner and the desk closest to the door and turned to make sure all his buddies snickered at his joke. Emil kept his words to himself. He'd been in too many fights this year with Austin's friends, a bunch of farm kids who made fun of Emil because he was thin and had long hair and didn't play his sport or hang out with anyone other than his brother, Jacob. Once they learned that Emil liked poetry, it was over. Why can't you just let it go, Jacob had said. Emil had shrugged. He was good at fighting. He liked it. He enjoyed seeing these kids' false bravado recede into fear. But his brother was right. After his last fight, a bloody beating, Emile doled out on school grounds. He'd been suspended for a week. One more such incident, the principal threatened, and Emil would be expelled, charges pressed. The woman smiled at the class. Mr. Church is dead, she said. I killed him. Emile was the only one who laughed. My name is Ginny Scott. If you earn earn an A on today's quiz, you can call me Ginny. If you don't, you can call me Not Surprise. Now take out a sheet of paper and something to write with. The quiz covered early colonial America. Middle school stuff, really. Name the oldest colony. Which colony was founded by the British in 1607? Label them both on a map. Which early colonies thrived? Which ones disappeared? Emil finished the quiz in less than five minutes. He covered his mouth so no one could see him smile as he listened to the other students struggle. The girl to his right hummed the mnemonic device, while the boy on his left leaned over to his clueless friend and whispered, Jonestown instead of Jamestown. It was an understandable mistake, actually. It was spring now, but the tragedy was all anyone talked about the previous semester. The largest loss of civilian life in American history, let alone 1978. An entire town, gone. At the time, Mr. Church tried to connect the tragedy to his curriculum, to Jamestown, to Roanoke, and had actually been quite successful. The glass talked about it in hushed whispers like campfire ghost stories and peppered Mr. Church with question after question. What did the carving on the tree mean? Did everyone drink the Kool-Aid? Who survived? Pencils down, Miss Scott said. She collected the quizzes, laughing at some of the answers as she flipped through them. What's so funny? Austin asked the American education system, apparently. A few students groaned. Oh, it's not your fault, Ms. Scott said. You're simply not engaged. All your lies you've been taught to memorize, which of course has its usefulness, but you're not even memorizing the good stuff. A girl in the front row raised her hand. We're just doing what they tell us. Exactly, Ms. Scott said. Well, the girl said, what should we be doing? You should ask questions. About what? Someone said. Everyone turned and looked at Emil. It took a moment before he realized he was the one who had spoken. It was the first thing he'd said in class all year. Whatever you want, but make it interesting. Emil and his classmates glanced at each other. No one knew what to say, except Austin, the classhole, who raised his hand and said, "'What do you know about Jonestown?' Miss Scott leaned against the chalkboard. "'Quite a bit, actually. I was there.'" "'She was a reporter,' she explained." She studied journalism at a prestigious school on the East Coast the class had never heard of, took a low-paying gig with a revered newspaper after she graduated. She was one of two groups allowed to visit Jonestown before the mass suicide. She left right before the second group arrived, a delegation that included a congressman, two of his staffers, and nine journalists, most of whom were executed. What was it like there, someone asked. It was hot. Did you see the Kool-Aid? She did not. Did you meet the guy, Jim Jones? I did. What was he like? He was the most charismatic person I've ever met, and the most terrifying. It was the greatest class he'd ever attended, Emil later realized, as he sat in the nosebleed section of the bleachers, waiting for his brother to finish uh, track practice. Below, his brother sprinted around the track, far in front of everyone else. Jacob was different, too, but in a way society had agreed to appreciate. He was beloved by his peers as well as his teachers, who, despite their own failings, still had the ability to recognize greatness in others. Jacob, a senior, approached a freshman runner whom he could easily lap. Instead, he slowed his pace to match the kid, even offered him an encouraging pat on the shoulder as the two circled the loop for the final time. Perhaps that's what made today's class so remarkable. For the first time in his recent memory, Emil's mind raced alongside others, not far ahead. He learned that although Jonestown ended in South America, it did not begin there. He learned that Jim Jones was from the Midwest, like Emil's mother was from the Midwest. Jones eventually made his way to a small town in Northern California, then to San Francisco, before departing for South America. Jenny did not know why he left California or what he left behind, though, she said, that certainly is a good question. She said she would have to look it up, and that was the class's homework, too. Write down a question to which you don't know the answer, something you're curious about. In his mind, Emil wrote down questions he had about his mother. Where was she? Why did she leave? Once you have your question, Jenny said, search for the answer. On Monday, we'll discuss what you discover. Emil spent the weekend at the library. Jacob traveled for a track meet and returned draped in medals. When Emil showed up to American History on Monday, Jinny sat in Mr. Church's chair. She informed the class that Mr. Church would not be returning, and no, she didn't know why. She then told the story of her childhood dentist, a man beloved by the entire town, who had a wife, two daughters, the whole bit. One morning, the dentist got dressed, ate breakfast, kissed his wife and kids, and went out to the garage, where he started the car with the door shut and waited for his death to arrive. The point is, Jenny said, we may think we know each other, but what do we really know? Everyone has their secrets. You think that's what happened to Mr. Church, one boy said. Art, one of Austin's cronies. God, no, are you listening to me? Several students shifted in their seats. Take out your homework. Let's see what you discovered over the weekend. A few classmates had completely forgotten about the assignment. One girl claimed she completed it but, th- but left it at home. And no, she couldn't remember any of the questions she asked. You know what the Australians would say about that, don't you? Jenny said, "Sounds sus, as in suspect." Yes, very sus indeed. Have any of you been to Australia? No one raised their hand. It was Emil who finally broke the silence. He began by admitting that, like the rest of his classmates, he was very interested in Roanoke. This got me wondering what Roanoke was like now, so I went to the library. Spent the whole weekend there. A few students giggled, but Jenny nodded Emil's cue to continue. He told the class that today Roanoke was a place called Manteo, North Carolina, a small town in Dare County with a population of 547 people. Manteo was named after, a, after an Indian who helped the English settlers survive when they first landed and started their settlement. He told them that the town's population saw steady growth in recent years, thanks in part to the current mayor embracing the area's dark history, turning well-known tragedy into tourism. A play about the colony's vanishing was performed. Ghost ghost tours were given. All this and still no one knew what really happened to the settlers. So what, one student thought. And freak. The problem, Emil said. I think, doofus loser. What I discovered is that the English waited too long. I mean, three years passed before White returned. That's a really long time, isn't it? By then, the entire colony had been erased. So, the class thought. So, Austin said, Yes, Jenny said, what exactly is your point? Emil thought of his brother. He saw him running away from their childhood home, away from their mother, yes, but also away from the answers Emil now felt he needed. I was just thinking, he said, what if that's what happens with Jonestown? You don't see it on the news anymore. We're expected to move on. So what do you want to do, Austin said, fly to South America? You want to drink the Kool-Aid? Be our guest. The class laughed. Quiet," Jenny said. She turned to Emil. Is that all? You want to know what the dead are up to? Not only the dead. There were survivors, but no one ever talked about them. The dead don't talk, Austin said. Maybe you should try it. The class laughed again. Emil heard the waves of agreement, give it a rest, freak, from his classmates. Take a deep breath, Jacob would say. They're just words, nothing worth getting riled up over. Emil clenched his fists, but didn't say anything. There you go, Austin said. Now you're getting it. The bell rang. The students gathered their things, but Emil lagged behind. He would wait until Austin was long gone before before he made his way to his locker. Hey, Jonestown, Jenny said. Can I talk to you for a second? When it was just the two of them, she shut the door. Everything's fine, Emil said. I'm just weird, that's all. Jenny sat down at one of the student desks. She looked very much out of place. You are weird. Well, that's not what this is about. She gestured for Emil to have a seat, or I guess it is Emil. Emil, you did an excellent, excellent job with today's assignment. At first, I wasn't sure where you were going with it, but but it's pretty cool where your questions led you. She folded her arms. Hey, I wanted to ask you something. Why did you go quiet when that boy made fun of you? That Allen, Austin. Yeah. Why didn't you say anything? Emil shrugged. They're all thinking it. Jenny sighed as if she were disappointed. Do you know what I did before I came here? After my stint at the Times? You know the journal world, the local paper? I worked for it. I did more than work for it, actually. I was a senior editor. Can you believe that? I was the only woman there and the youngest editor by far. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? Emil did not. Her thoughts were clear, but their meaning was hard to read. Every day, some asshole like Austin told me I didn't belong there. Do you think I stayed quiet? I can't get in any more fights, Emil said. They'll expel me. Yeah, Jenny said, almost with a laugh. They expelled me too. She slumped back in the desk, and for a moment, her thoughts drifted away from the classroom. She focused on an office. It was her for, her former boss's maybe, some guy with a bad tie and even worse haircut. He was yelling at her while Jenny stood there staring at her reflection in the framed degree that hung above her boss's head. She was not crying or, or worried as Emil thought he would have been. She was grinning. As if to say, so what? You got fired? And I'll tell you what, Jenny said, it was worth it. She didn't say anything more, and the two of them sat until another bell rang. It was Jenny's free period, but Emil was late for algebra. You weren't scared, Emil said, were you? Of losing my job? No, Emil said, at Jonestown. I can tell. When you talk about it, your mind is calm. Jenny's face changed. She looked at Emil the way they always looked when they suspected he was more than a little strange. I wasn't afraid, she said, but I should have been. Thanks.
4: So we're going to ask Cody a couple questions, and then we'll open it up for questions on the novel and the podcast and the TV show, and then we're also going to play a clip from season two that hasn't come out yet. (laughs)
1: Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Excited. yeah sure uh so Cody Zach. Uh, we did a mean thing to you, uh I be- agree because <laughs> what are we talking about? because Without any God the the <laughs> i mean the the easier thing to do here would have been to take the podcast and make a novelization of it, uh but instead we decided to do the. Uh, hard thing and create an entire history leading up to the show. Uh, so, uh, and, you know, we had extensive conversations, but for the most part, you were left on your own Yeah, and, yeah. Not cool. Not cool. <laughs> uh, so I, but I am curious uh, what you took from the podcast um, to create this thing that you created. Um, well, first I would say it wasn't a mean thing. It was a challenging thing. Okay.
2: Right. Um, nice <laughs> it was also a very exciting thing. I don't know that I would have taken the job if it was just me translating the podcast into a novel, because as a writer, that to me isn't very exciting. Um, so what is, exa- what is exciting is expanding this world, um, and adding to its lore, to its canon, however you want to describe it. So, um, thank you for that. It was not me. Um, I was excited for the opportunity. Um, but what I took from the podcast, I mean there's a lot. I, I hope when I was writing this book, I wrote it as something that could be enjoyed as a standalone novel, yes, but I really wrote it for um podcast fans that they would appreciate it because that's the type of stuff as a nerd that I like. Um, you know, I like when I go and see like a Marvel movie and there's all these little Easter eggs that maybe not everyone gets and I can like nerd out. And my wife can tell me to calm down. Um, so um, I took a lot from the podcast in terms of you know some characters make appearances, but also the biggest thing is that we wanted to make sure that the tone and the themes of the podcast were carried over into the novel so that it all sort of gelled together. Um, so that's something that I was really um, very mindful of as I was writing. And then, I mean, it's sort of interesting that um, – in the podcast, like Emil is basically this blank slate. So we don't know him at all. So having the freedom to invent his character, um, with your guys' blessing was super exciting. And it was also super exciting to expand and complicate and round out Leah's character. Because in the podcast, in the first season, we kind of only see what she wants us to see. Uh, We see her radio personality or her persona, but we don't see what she's like outside of the program. So thinking about um, who she was, um, what her personality was like, and what was driving her to be so dedicated uh, was really fun for me. Um, I'd, I'd love if you could talk specifically about Emil for,
4: <laughs> for a little bit. Um, I mean, because, as you said, uh, Leah is, there is some source material for her in the first season, but with, with Emil, he's just the man they were all there for, a line in the first season. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> so where did he come from?
2: Yeah, um, so I I started with the one thing I did know about him was that he has this gift, right? We can say what the gift is. Yes, yes. Maybe? No. Yes. I mean, he can read minds, people. So that's his gift. Um, so I, So that's the one thing we know about him, right? And we know, or I guess we know that he is um, Leah's uncle. And so that's all I had. So, so I worked from that. Uh, but obviously the gift is like his most interesting uh, characteristic. And I knew I wanted to um, start his character, um, his age around the same time that Leah is when the panic happens And so he's going to be in high school. um, And I was thinking about, okay, what would it be like to have this gift in high school? And at first you're thinking, oh, it's going to be amazing because you can read people's minds. You have this distinct advantage over them. And that would be incredible, right? You could could do whatever you wanted to do. But then I was thinking about like my own high school experience and also my middle school experience and how rough it was and how lonely I was and how isolating I was. And um, so I started from that place and then thinking, okay, what would it be like to have that gift in that difficult time, like if you weren't the cool kid, right? Which obviously I wasn't. Um, And so I think it would be rough because you're hearing everyone's thoughts, these people who do not like you, you know? And at least like for most people, those thoughts are at least, you know, like somewhat filtered. But if you're just hearing these unfiltered thoughts all the time, it could be so isolating um, and so difficult. So I started with that place of, um, isolation and loneliness, and then kind of grew his character from there as the events unfolded.
1: Great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the the reason that we were excited to work with you was because of your first novel, Hurt People. <laughs> uh, which is, you know, uh, I, I, what I said to Skip after I read it was a couple of things that you know, really stood out is that you write downhill In that when you start reading something you write, you just keep reading it because it's interesting. But two and hurt people, it was a really personal story and you could feel it. You could feel it in every character and every scene that it was a really personal thing for the author. So how did that work stepping into this world that we forced you into where it wasn't your world? How did you make it yours when you wrote it? Yeah, I mean it's
2: it's it's definitely you know a lot less biographical. I cannot read anyone's minds, but um, um, like I, I incorporate obviously my the trauma I experienced during my middle school years, um, and then for Leah's character, I also brought in certain characteristics. So one of the things that we learn about Leah in the novel is that um, she's very empathetic or very empathic, so she can always sense. Um, or understand where people are coming from, why they do the things they do, why they're feeling the way that they, that they feel. Um, but she's not sympathetic at all, which means that doesn't mean she really cares. Like She gets where you're coming from, but that doesn't mean she's going to um, let that affect her getting what she wants to get. And it kind of makes sense if you think about the podcast where she's interviewing these people and she ends up finding out, oh, if I interview them, bad things are going to happen to them. But then that doesn't stop her. So those characteristics kind of fit who she was, and I was actually drawing um, from my own uh, experience as well. I took this uh, strengths test when I was in high school, and you, you answer a hundred questions, and it's terrible, but it tells you uh, what kind of person you are, right? Um, and uh, it tells you so, like you know, you'll know what career you you can get into. Um, so it said, "Whoa, you had a really rough middle school," and I was like, "Yeah, I know that." And then it said. Um, your number one strength was empathy. And it specifically said that it means you can understand where people are coming from, but that doesn't mean you do anything about it. And I was like, oh, well, I'm kind of a dick, it turns out. Uh, um, But again, I blame the trauma from the middle school. Um, So, uh, you know, incorporating that into um, the book was fun. But, I mean, when I'm writing you can't help but draw on personal experiences. They just find their way into your writing. And that doesn't mean that you know when you're writing fiction, it's like 90% biographical, but you're going to use, you know, right? You're supposed to write what you know is the old cliche. Um, and so that kind of stuff does filter
4: in. Um, so you might not know this, but Cody's been working with us on the second season and he actually wrote the finale. Um, so he has lots of spoilers. Uh, but Cody, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about uh what What are some of the things you can do
2: when you 're writing the novel that you can 't do
4: when you 're writing the podcast right
2: um, there are lots of things it's it 's just a different medium right so the biggest thing you can do when you 're writing a novel is you can build out the characters more uh, we can get inside of their heads we don 't have to be a meal we don 't have to be able to you know read their minds um with because we know in real life that when people say something they 're not always telling the truth right um Is that your experience, too? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Oh. So in the novel, we get to see people who are lying, people who are deceiving, and how that um, creates their characters um, and complicates them. Whereas in the podcast, we're wondering, but we kind of have to take everyone's word for it, right? So is Leah the Leah that she presents in the first season, right? We don't know. Um, So the best part about writing a novel is that you have so much more space and time and freedom to round out these characters and to get a fuller picture of them. And then there are the parts that I like. I mean, I'm a big fan of language, so writing compelling prose that sounds good and, and hopefully reads well is always something that excites me too.
4: We'll open it up. Uh, yeah. Any questions on the novel, or on the podcast, or even
1: on the upcoming I TV show? Think you have to go over here to ask it. So yeah, yeah. We yeah. have a microphone. <laughs> I'm glad I remembered that.
5: <laughs> Hi. Thanks and welcome. Uh, Hi. So I have. Hi. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, well. Th- th- thanks. <laughs> um, I have two, two, two questions, but uh, only one of them actually matters. So uh, I guess. I'll start with that one. Um, <laughs> so something that I something that I really appreciate uh, about Limetown the podcast is how, you know, you you obviously have built this incredibly rich world, but um, the characters, the themes, the emotional heft always takes precedence over the lore. And actually there is kind of, it seems like in the very first episode of season two, uh, a comment on like, you know, keeping the mystery alive, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And um as a fan of uh of large worlds, I have dipped my toes into expanded universe things that are just lore dumps, you know, um, and I was wondering if if there was ever a temptation to give in to that because it is what a lot of expanded universe stuff ends up being, um, which is you know super satisfying for some folks, but yeah
1: uh i mean i I, I know. Uh, uh, just, uh just because uh that's not what interests us as storytellers uh you know we we always put character first we always at least try to do that first and then plot second um and then lore is somewhere down here I don't know but anyway we care about characters the most and so that that always takes the precedent and and uh I I don't think we've ever really cared that much about building the mythology other than just sort of like hanging it in the corner to keep your eye distracted. I mean, that's how we've always sort of thought about it. So,
4: Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would add is when we were were getting ready to pitch the TV show, we got some really good advice, and that was make sure that you really know the tone of what it is you're creating. And if you can master a very specific tone, you'll be successful. And I think the one thing we've always tried to do from – the book to the TV show to the podcast is have a consistent, very specific, spooky tone that is limetown and I, I think as much as characters is true, we also always try to put tone first and foremost because how the podcast makes you feel is something we really try to you know make paramount.:
1: yeah, so maybe tone is second. <laughs> <laughs> awesome.
5: I'm curious what your Yeah, what was the other question? question? Yeah, this, um, the pointless question. Yeah, was there at all an impish desire to refuse to make an audiobook version of this? To be like, no, there's an audio podcast and you have to read the book. That was,
1: that was actually... Well, again... I wouldn't say impish. No, I mean, <laughs> it, but there was like a lot of like, are people going to be confused? Like, are they going to yeah, think it that nice. it's the podcast or it's, it's the audiobook? And we were like, no, we think the audience understands basic words. So <laughs> uh, we got past that. I mean, there was a temptation at one point to sort of produce it ourselves. Like, let's do this. But then it was like, that's insane. And so we didn't. But it's, yeah. Anyway,
2: well, That was a good question. Good. Thank, Thank you.
5: you. Hi, I'm Saxon. Um, I wanted to ask Cody, um, what was it like taking kind of a world already and then moving it back, you know, X amount of years to kind of recreate this world but still end in the same place?
2: It was hard. It was, <laughs> it was very hard. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges as a writer is when you're writing a prequel. Like, how can you get the reader slash listener slash viewer engaged when they're so interested in what's going to happen in the future and not the past? Or at least that's maybe their, their initial impulse. So after the first season of the podcast, everyone wants to know, okay, what happened to Leah, right? So this book isn't answering that. So how do I create a book that is still compelling enough on its own um, that engages the reader, um, and so, what I try to do is just create a lot of mysteries um, that drive the reader forward, that compel the reader forward, while still showing the reader something they didn't get in the first season of the podcast. That has to be like one of the most important things. Is we're not just doing the lore dump, which I had never heard before, but that's brilliant. Um, we're we're showing them something they haven't seen that is central to. Um, the podcast in the first season and the podcast going forward. So that was kind of my, my way of thinking. Awesome. Thank Great you. question. Thank you. All
3: right. <clears throat> hey, guys. My name's Ricky. Hello, uh, hi, Ricky. So I have a question kind of from a writer's standpoint. So when you are thinking about, okay, what characteristics does this character have? do you draw more on something that is a characteristic that you wish you had and the way that you – and you display it in a way of this is what it would be like if I were this way? Or is it more so a characteristic of – or a thinking of, well, this is what I see other people that I think of this way? Skip. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um, As a writer, I mean – I guess it would be tempting to write characters that are like the better version of yourself, like, so I would write a character who like had a great middle school experience and <laughs> was not underweight and had lots of hair, that would be amazing, <laughs> right? Um, but I think you, when you're writing, you want to write characters who are experiencing challenges, right? Because that's where the conflict comes from. So they're going to have some flaws. Um so for me it's figuring out like who these characters are and that's based on what's wrong with them and starting from there. Um but sometimes like when you're writing minor characters or you know semi minor characters it's just about discovering who they are through the process of writing. So so sometimes like there's a there's a minor character in the book named um Uh, Wiley, and he's like my favorite character um just because he's so like self-deprecating um and um i don't know i like i like him a lot but um so you're discovering who these characters are as you are writing um and sometimes they remind you of
1: people you know um and sometimes they don't yeah my answer to that is a lot dumber which is normally when i think of characters when i'm writing a character i always try to think of someone i know who is like this person and they become sort of a a living person in my mind so it it becomes a lot easier to write you know specific to writing you know the podcast or television a lot of it is just dialogue which is a lot easier than what he has to do all the time uh and so it's about words and it's about how they respond and it really it's it's a process of sort of like living in a person's skin for a period of time and, and trying to get into how they think and and imagine how they would respond to situations. And so that's why writing is sometimes fun, but you know, is specific to Limetown can put me in a bad place sometimes, you know, when you're, when you're embodying it, but uh, it is very much just channeling these characters that, that live in your brain. And, and, I don't know if a part of me is, I'm sure a part of me is in every character, but I'm not as cognizant of it as maybe some people are.
2: Yeah, and I would also say that, I mean, that's where empathy really um, comes in handy. So I always think of writing and reading as a great exercise in empathy because we get to um, experience these characters or or put ourselves in their shoes in ways that we don't a lot of times in the outside world. So writing and reading sort of forces you to confront other people's point of views, uh, which I don't think happens enough in real life.
3: I would definitely agree with that. Thank you. Thank
5: you. Thanks. Hey, So I actually had two questions, uh, one for the whole group and then one just for Zach, if we could sneak that one in. (laughs) But um, for the whole group. I'm really interested in the creative process, especially with a group dynamic that I originally thought was a, a duo, but now I learn as a trio um, as far as the podcast goes. Is it everyone kind of contributes equally to each episode with their thoughts or is there, there's an, a meal with the secret sauce and then a Max that just makes the burgers or like how, <laughs> what, what's, I guess, how do you each kind of approach an episode is compartmentalize it?
1: uh well i I think the the second season of this podcast is actually um a sort of the a better way to respond to this, which is uh you know the first season I wrote four of the six episodes myself and we we did have a writer's room and we did talk out um a lot of the episodes, but for better or worse, a lot of it was just me writing the thing but because uh we are now working on the television show i haven't been able to write any part of the second season so we've had to rely on really talented writers like cody uh and and a few other really talented people and so it's just been this exercise of sort of handing my baby to someone and being like please raise this for me uh and it's and that part of it has been uh strange but also really great um because Skip and I always have the philosophy of best idea wins, always. Um, so it's really difficult to say uh, who has the most say or who has the least say. It is a true conversation between us and the writer of a given given episode. Um, and we generally will come up with a loose outline of what we want to accomplish, what needs to happen, but then we love to give the writer autonomy because we want them to own the material we want them to be personally invested because that's where you get the best material and you find really unexpected things there you know so every single time we've gotten a script from a writer that we've worked with on the podcast we've been like whoa we didn't see that we didn't expect that that's amazing let's lean into that let's let's press forward with that so uh it's it's and it would be insane to think that we knew best or that we knew everything um, when you have really talented people who can make the story better.
4: Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, And we actually, we tried to take that same process with the writer's room for the podcast to the TV show where we would just come up with a loose outline in the room, and the TV writers were really taken aback. They're just like, we're used to putting together a detailed beat sheet of every single scene and every single episode, and so it was a totally new new world for them, and it ended up being really liberating and really fun to see what they came up with without having to figure it all out in the room.
2: And I would just add, um, from the writer's perspective, it's like you know, working for Zach and Skip, what helps us a lot is the fact that they have such a clear vision of what they wanted from these episodes right they know while they give us a lot of freedom they know what landmarks they want the episode to hit and they know what tones and themes they want to resonate with you know the reader the listener or the viewer so that
1: helps a lot and they're nice thanks cody
5: thank you uh zach real quick uh any tips for Kligerman christmas drink <laughs> thank you yes
4: Hi, guys. I had a question about, I guess, the uh, framing device for the podcast, especially the transition from season one to season two. Uh, First of all, if I'm remembering correctly, season one came out, I think, like a year or six months after Serial came out. And you guys had that same NPR reporter format. Did you guys have that in mind before Serial came out? Or did you take inspiration from that? And then what's it been like abandoning that format for season two so far? And uh, that sort of structure that was there. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's really funny. We we started the podcast in November of 2013, which was a year before Serial. And we, we actually had the first episode done in the summer of 2014, and then a couple months later, Serial came out, and I think we both looked at each other and we just did not know if this was a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> like, is this exactly our show, or what is this? But Zach, you've always said that it's you know, Serial
1: changed the whole landscape, changed yeah. the entire industry, It legitimized podcasting, so it was a good thing. Anyway, you keep talking now. I just got to I was bopping in for that part of it, but yeah, no, I mean, we the format we stole from Radiolab, This American Life, yeah. sort of the traditional, uh, you know masters of the radio documentary and the reason that we did that um was because it was the easiest solution to solving the exposition problem that comes in radio drama which is like the the simplest way of explaining this is uh when i'm gonna punch cody in the face i don't say (laughs) i'm gonna punch you which is the problem with radio drama because if you just hear a punch you're like the hell is that (laughs) but someone has to tell you what you're hearing give you context so the the easiest solution to that was well if it's a documentary everything has to be explained and there has to be a context for everything and so it was sort of the the easiest solution to that so going forward three years it was sort of a how can we keep evolving this how can we take chances how can we do something different and it sort of led us to abandoning the format to sort of see how we could stay in the world while doing something a little more dangerous, a little more uh, problematic as far as how, how to get exposition across. Uh, but so far, I feel like we've done a pretty good job of doing that. And it's been really exciting to figure out a new way of telling the story.
6: Thanks yeah, for yeah, uh, I mean, putting
1: yourselves out there, guys. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Thank you.
3: So I have the nerdiest question ever. Nice. Uh, so I'm not sure who. Uh, for me, I have been known to uh, ask an author what happens after um, what happens after the end of a character's story. And when said author told me that they didn't know, I was obviously not happy. <laughs> but um, in terms of so, in, uh, nerdy question in the last episode. Um, When Leah is talking about Emile, and she asks Lenore, she says, did he, and stops, and then she says, I'd rather not talk about that. Was that just character development, or was there something else to that that we're going to learn about?
1: Uh, I would say that that is certainly, it's sort of speaking to uh, Cody's thing of, the first season was sort of only what Leah wanted you to hear, right? Right. And this question that you're talking about specifically Mm -hmm. is her cracking a little bit. Like, it's her almost venturing forth in a really personal way, but then catching herself. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say that specifically the other side of Leah is Mm -hmm. definitely part of how the story progresses, especially in the television show, for example, Mm -hmm. because so much of it is going to be Leah's personal life. Um, You know, uh, just to be clear, the the first season of the TV show is going to be the first season of the podcast, but Mm -hmm. what's exciting is Leah's other side, you know, what it's like to experience this, uh, the personal toll and sort of how she navigates dangers, but also, like Cody was saying, what kind of person... uh, you know keeps talking to people knowing that they're going to be put in great harm in doing so it's it's it sort of is a is a person who is a little sociopathic in a way and so it's been really fun to explore that but i think it's definitely something that is part of the the world going forward for sure awesome thank you yeah you're welcome
3: Hi, I was hoping you could talk a little bit more about the production process because something that um, I just want to compliment you on, the acting on the podcast is really remarkable, especially compared to other sort of fictional narratives. And so what sort of control do you have? How do you engender that sort of quality throughout the full process?
4: Yeah, when we made the podcast, Zach and I had never made an audio drama or a podcast before, so we didn't know what to do or what not to do. And so we approached it like a film. Um, we built out an entire team and we approached it collaboratively from uh, you know nothing but SAG actors and uh, you know having a, a, a master and a mixer and a sound designer and someone who's um, running up uh, casting. And we did everything that we knew from film and took it to audio drama. And I think that's sort of what maybe set it apart early on. Should we play a little bit from the second season yes. All right. <laughs> any other questions before we do I have one quick question
5: sorry they told us that be strict I haven't listened to any of the podcast episodes or seen any of the TV episode but the description tonight said it's so exciting I thought I'd come
1: <laughs> should I read the book first or do the podcast first? It's a great question. We've landed on an Thank order you. of this that I think we all agree on, which is yes. you should listen to the first season, Correct. then read the novel, yes, then listen to the second season. Yes. And then buy the book for your friend, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then read Hurt People by like Cody Smith. Uh, cool. You ready? So, uh, I mean, I would just
2: say... That, that order makes the most sense, but one thing we should emphasize is that all these works inform each other. And I think you'll appreciate the book more if you listen to the podcast, and you'll, and you'll appreciate the podcast if you read the book. And you'll cr- appreciate the TV show if you do all of the above.
3: <laughs> Sorry, one more. Yeah. You got time for one more? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, or you, two more. Yeah, you mentioned it earlier that. Writing this sometimes takes you to a dark place. It reminds me of a joke that one of my friends said at dinner night about being happiness happening in Limetown. I commented, nothing happy ever happened in Limetown. <laughs> so sort of a two-part is is there any like sort of hope or happiness that's going to come? And then two, how do you yourself think you're breaking up? Just it's a yes or no. It's a yes or no, it doesn't matter, right? Right? And I, I'm not invested in that answer. But then how do you keep yourself positive enough when you go to work the next day and be like, well, i got to kill 20 more people, right? Like, like, because I can imagine that that eventually wears on you and you said it yourself. You go sometimes to a dark place and you take a break.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think from a cloud level, the answer is God no. There's, yeah. there's no there is no Perfect. hope. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, <laughs> I would say within every story, within every every character that we meet we do try to find the hope we do try to find the levity because you and then crush it well you want to. i mean it's it you just want to care about people you know and and if you you can't just hit the same note over and over again and expect people to to want to keep listening to it so it's a constant game of playing that where you know you do have to find light with the dark uh but you know beautiful
4: uh, yeah, I yeah. mean the only other thing I'd say is I think about a show like Black Mirror, which is a very dark show. Yeah. But my favorite episode is San Junipero, and it's it's the only episode that's not cynical at the end. And I think in order to pull that off, and the reason it feels so good is because of every episode ending the way it does. So I do think you need the balance. Yeah.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank
6: you. Hi. Um, Hello. I have two questions. Uh, first one do you have any plans on doing a third season or no?
1: We're just concentrating on the television show right now. (laughs) Okay, That's his stock answer. That's part of
6: my other question. The reason for the large gap between seasons one and two, is that because of production development hell-type stuff related? Yes.
1: Okay. Uh, Specifically, it was uh, we wanted to make uh the television show and uh television is a very weird space to navigate and there was a there's a lot of starts and stops there were a lot of times that we thought it wasn't going to happen then a lot of times we thought it was going to happen and the one thing we didn't want to do was create a second season that sort of cannibalized from the television mm-hmm. show so we had to we had to figure out what the fate of that was And then sort of build a second season that supplements everything. Because everything that we're trying to do, like Cody was saying, was to expand the universe and to be sort of a complement to each other. And there's nothing worse in our minds than sort of like hitting the same note uh, Mm -hmm. more than once. So that is the answer to that question.
6: Can I ask a a third one? You may, I think. (laughs) Um, You said... You were One of you went to school for film and television. Was that you? Both of you? Um, I also went to school for film and television. Was your goal with Limetown to always end up as a TV show? Or was it just, let's do something? Our goal
1: was to get 10,000 people to listen to it. Okay. You know, like, and, and, and maybe have a resume piece that could get us other work. I mean, we honestly had no expectations for anything. Uh, it was honestly, we wanted to create something that we thought was cool and that we hadn't heard. So that was honestly our our highest hopes for it.
6: Well, I think it's pretty cool. And... Well, thank you, thank, thank you. you very much. Neat.
4: Um, so this is a four minute clip that's going to play next week as part of season two. It's a little micro episode. Any context, Zach? Ah, uh, no, it's okay. fine. <laughs>
7: okay Maya I'm just going to need you to talk with your mouth okay uh, just for the next little bit no 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 I'm, I'm not listening yes I can hear you I I can see what you're was but I need to make a recording of this for the but can you can you try to use your words actually Karen can you just help her take it out take it out well we really need to use speech oh, yes she we... just really doesn't like to take it out even at night it's a struggle uh, well unfortunately madia we'd have to see so you can feel get... her getting angry even at the suggestion i know i know okay. madia but okay, please. honey honey I'm, I'm gonna take it out for just a minute so dr brittnell madia good good what what sorry did, what, what did i i didn't That must have been something just for you No, no, she just, um, she said you're not even a real doctor I'm sorry, she's only five I'll try, Oh, here Ow! No, no, don't take it up! I want it! Leave it! Don't
6: touch!
7: Yeah, please, now, that's not very nice Don't hit your mother
6: You're not nice Mom's not nice
7: There we go. Thank you, Maria. Now, your mother here tells me you've been acting a little bit strange.
6: You don't even like kids.
7: What? Now that's not true.
6: Yes, it is. You don't like kids. You're not nice to them.
7: Maria, are you okay? (laughs) Maria, take a deep breath.
6: want to go to sleep
7: you said she hasn't been sleeping not much this week but i thought it probably i mean it might be because mm-hmm. you know yes i can hear you are you having trouble sleeping maria sort of what do you mean sort of dear i just don't want to go to sleep anymore why don't you want to go to sleep
6: because i don't want him to visit anymore
7: Who? Someone comes to your room? Or is it someone you only see when you're asleep? I don't want to say. If it's something you can see when you're asleep, he can't hurt you. You can tell me. I can help you make them go away, if you want. He doesn't want to go away. What does he want?
6: I don't know.
7: Are you sure you don't know? Maria.
6: He wants us to do something. What? I'm not supposed to say.
7: Something bad. Like what happened last week?
6: It was an accident! Maria. I said I was sorry.
7: Your dad was really sick.
6: He said. he would be fine.
7: Well, he is fine. But he's allergic to walnuts, and you knew that. And you put them inside his breakfast No You hid them, Maria.
6: No, I didn't Yes, you did,
7: sweetie Remember, Daddy got sick He's okay now and He's not mad at you But he did get sick
6: He said he wanted to try them Because he never tried them before
7: Your father said that? It's okay, honey You can tell the doctor Who said that, Madhya? Show the reason you don't want to go to sleep
4: Thank you very much for coming (laughs) and for listening to that.